with me in a football match. Our match will last around 15 minutes uh, with maybe a little bit of stoppage time. And it will consist, as all football matches do, of two halves. And if you are listening now, you are part of this match. And so if you're ready, uh, let's kick off and let the first half begin. Now about 10 years ago, I used to work uh, as a youth probation officer, which basically entailed that I would try and help young people who were involved in a life of crime to get out of that life. And I absolutely loved it. Uh, it was a great job, and, and I loved being able to get involved in these young people's lives to, to try and help them break these patterns of really dysfunctional and damaging behavior and come alongside them. And many times, these young people who I worked with, they would get my hopes up. I'd see the potential in them. If only they could hold down a college place. If only they could stay away from that group of friends who were such a bad influence on them. If only they had parents who cared about them. And I'd see this potential, and they'd get my hopes up, then they wouldn't engage with what we were doing with them. And my hopes would be dashed. And reality would bite and they'd fall back into that bad, negative, criminal behavior. I wonder whether you resonate with that at all. Not necessarily working with criminals, but that idea of somebody getting your hopes up only for them to let you down. Maybe you've been in that in a relationship and experienced that when there might have been someone you thought could have been the one and they've turned out not to be they've let you down you thought that relationship would bring you fulfillment and it hasn't or maybe you experienced that in regard to friends or family members or maybe there is a role model who you look to maybe someone who's famous and you, you maybe even base your life a little bit on them but they've let you down and so as we enter the first half of our match this morning, uh, we're going to see someone who gets our hopes up, Hezekiah. Uh, but we just need to have a brief stoppage in play, um, just to bear something in mind. Uh, if you remember last week when Rob was speaking on chapters 36 and 37, when God delivered his people from the hands of the Assyrians, um, and Hezekiah, uh, he showed great faith uh, in the Lord. Um, it's important to know that historically, what we just had read out to us happened uh, before chapters 36 and 37. And um, so actually, chapters 38 and 39 are deliberately put out of order. They should come before 36 and 7, 37. And now that's significant, and we'll see why a little bit later on. But back to our first half, we see a man who trusts God and acts in humility. Uh, read in chapter 38, it'd be good if you grab a Bible if you haven't got one already. We see this the King Hezekiah and he's really ill. In fact, he's really ill to the point of death. And Isaiah, speaking on behalf of the Lord, tells him, you're going to die. And Hezekiah's response is one of complete desperation. He, he turns his face to the wall and he cries deeply. He is devastated. But he moves towards God. He pleads with him. One writer puts it like this. Uh, 
He pours out the feelings of a wounded heart to a heavenly father. He pours out the feelings of a wounded heart to a heavenly father. And then we read in verses 4 to 7 that that God intervenes in his life and he gives him an, an extra 15 years and promises to deliver Jerusalem from the hand of Assyria. And so we see this man here, Hezekiah, who's full of trust and dependence on the Lord. In time of trouble, he runs right into the arms of God. And then we get this kind of psalm-like writing from Hezekiah. Um, it's a, kind of like a meditation on his experience. And, and it's here that we see his humility. He realizes his own uh, mortality and helplessness. Just look at verse 10. I said in the prime of my life, must I go through the gates of death and be robbed of the rest of my years? His life was just about to go like that. Suddenly, all that he achieved and that he enjoyed was just going to vanish like a vapor. And it shows us just how easily we can take life for granted. And I wonder whether going through COVID-19 has particularly reminded us just how fragile and temporary life is. That we are distinctly dependent creatures. As guy goes on in his, his kind of psalm to, to give us these two vivid images to bring this point home. He, he talks about a shepherd's tent uh, that would have been put up. The shepherd would have lived in it. Um, and they would have stayed there with, with the grass around and the, the sheep using that grass. It would give some degree of permanence. But then the grass would go, a bill be eaten, and nothing would remain but trampled dirt and the shepherd would move on. Or if you think of a weaver... He says, someone who makes fabric. Uh, the weaver works on a bit of cloth day after day. People passing by, they get used to that bit of cloth being worked on. And, but one day, the weaver decides, you know what, that's enough. He rolls the roll of fabric, cuts it, and carries it away, and it's gone. And life's like that. And it takes humility to realize that. Humility to realize that we are dependent creatures on God. And Hezekiah realizes that. He realizes God is all he's got. He's only hope. He's helpless and he knows it. And as he reflects on this experience of what God has done for him, he vows in verse 15 to walk humbly. That means depend on God all of his years. Well, there goes uh, the whistle. Um, Hopefully for the end of the first half. (laughs) It's coming. There we go. (laughs) We saw a man, didn't we, in that first half, on the verge of death, who learned to really trust the Lord and grow in humility. But football um, is a game of two halves, you know, literally. But that's also become one of those football cliches, hasn't it, that managers use afterwards. Uh, meaning the second half is very different to the first. And so we've had a, a brief break, and the whistle is going to go for the second half. And this half is quite different. The first half was all about trust in God, dependence on him and humility. This second half is about pride and a lack of trust in God. See, after Hezekiah is healed um, by God, the king of Babylon, Marduk-Baladan, sends Hezekiah these letters and a gift uh, via his envoys. He's heard of Hezekiah's recovery. 
And Hezekiah, in verse 2, you get the impression he's a little bit starstruck. Little old Judah being shown attention by the mighty Babylonian Empire. It doesn't happen every day. I mean, you could probably think of your own example, but you know, just imagine if you were doing some baking in the kitchen and there's a knock on the door and you open the door and, and standing there is, is Mary Berry. And she walks in just to take a look at what you're doing and you frantically apologize to her for the mess and you feel a little bit ooh, starstruck. And Hezekiah would have been very glad of any military support that Babylon could offer him from that threat from Assyria. And so we read that Hezekiah shows them absolutely everything they have. All the treasure they've accumulated, he shows them. And it's here that we really see the other half of our game. Pride. Hezekiah here had the opportunity to declare to the Babylonians, to the nations, God's faithfulness and his greatness. But instead he glorifies himself in in an attempt to make himself look like a worthy battle partner for the Babylonians. He completely forgets God. It's as though chapter 38 has never happened. In my mind, as I read this, there's this picture of, of Hezekiah sort of saying, come on, come, come take a look at this, come and look at these things. They're amazing, you don't want to see them in this kind of nauseous, desperate attempt to win the affection of the Babylonians, who've probably seen far more wealth than Hezekiah has. And Isaiah pops up, as all prophets do, and challenges Hezekiah. And he says, what did they see? And he says, everything. I held nothing back. And Isaiah delivers this damning verdict in verses 5 to 7. That the time will come when the Babylonians will have actually all of your treasures. And your descendants, God's people, will be taken into exile in Babylon. A serious verdict indicating the, the lack of trust and pride that would characterize God's people. And Hezekiah doesn't particularly end very well, does he? he? He sort of says, oh, that's a good word, Isaiah. Thank you for that. Why does he say it's a good word? Well, it's in his own self-interest because he's not going to be destroyed himself. That's for future generations. And so the second half of our match is a, is a very different story. It's one full of pride and self-sufficiency and a trust in himself and the nations, not the Lord. Well, there's the final whistle. And it really was a game of two halves. But as with any match, there needs to be a bit of analysis. I mentioned earlier, why is it that chapters 38 and 39... I'll put off the chapter 36 and 37. Why has Isaiah done that? Well, he's asking the key question. If God could be trusted to deliver his people from the Assyrians, why is there a threat and a defeat by Babylon? Why is this coming? Two reasons for us to think about as we apply this to our lives. First one there is that trust must become a way of life. In that first half, it was all about Hezekiah trusting the Lord. And chapter 39 really was just the complete opposite. You see, our trust in God must span all of our life, both halves. And I'd actually suggest it, it, it can be easier to trust and rely on God when life is hard. 
Because when you really feel helpless, you see your need and you realize that you've got nothing left and no one else to depend on but the Lord God. But in those times when life is not so hard, when things are going well, it's very easy to be self-sufficient and to lack that trust in the Lord. Almost like, oh, I'll turn to God when I need him. Like he becomes some kind of magic pill that we take. And so is your faith one of two halves? Or is it a whole life of trust and dependence? Second point, second reason and answer to that question Isaiah asks is that this shows us that the hope of humanity cannot rest on a human being. Hezekiah is depicted as being a representative of the people. Verse 36, sorry, chapters 36 to 39, but he fails. You know, at the start of our match, I got you to think of people who you'd hoped in, but they'd let you down. You know, really sadly, recently, there's been a spate of high profile, particularly Christian leaders, who have let us down, teaching one way and then in, in private living a completely different life. You see, the Hezekiahs of this world are mortal, they will die and they will fail. And so given that even the best of God's people fail, where is humanity's hope? Where do we look to? Where do we look to for someone to lead us and guide us? Well, that's how chapters 38 to 39 set up the rest of the book of Isaiah. Salvation, if it's not found in Hezekiah, where is it found? Given that one-time trust is not enough, how is a life of continuous trust possible? Given that God is trustworthy, how can human beings begin to trust him fully? How can a sinful people whose tendency is to forget God know a holy God? Well, the answers to those questions come in chapters 40 to 66. And I assume at some point you'll be looking at those in the future. I'm getting a nod from Tom. And in those chapters, you will meet a character called the servant of the Lord and without spoiling it, this servant of the Lord who Isaiah speaks of is the Lord Jesus Christ, anticipating his coming, much in the same way that today on Palm Sunday we anticipate the cross. Jesus, someone who's fully human and fully God, who did not fail. Someone who fully trusted God, his Father, all the time. And as our representative, helps us live this whole life of trust in God. You know, when a player scores a goal for a team, it is credited to the whole team. It's credited even to the substitutes on the bench. He might not even get on the pitch. It's credited even to the fans in the stadium when you can have fans in the stadium. It's credited to those who are sitting at home watching the game on their sofa. Why? Because the players will say, the fans will say, did you see that goal that we scored? We won the game. And in the same way, this servant of the Lord, Jesus Christ, is our representative. We can say because he won, we won. We can say because he lived the perfect life, we in God's sight have lived that way. Because he trusted, we can trust Well, the game's over. Analysis 
uh, is done and, and everyone's gone home. But here's the thing to remember. The trust in the Lord is a way of life. And it's made possible by the Lord Jesus. Amen.